I'm just going to share a couple of portions here just uh, and just be very brief this morning. But I just uh, feel like God would have us to understand these things. So in Exodus, in Exodus, the 17th chapter, we can see this in verse 1. It says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin, the wilderness, and of course we know that that's the world system, after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and that's the word, commandments, has to do with the receiving of the teaching and preaching of the word. And then, and notice, and it's of the Lord, meaning he will reign sovereign over our circumstances and situations, just like he did with Israel here. And then they pitched at Rephidim. Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. And we know that the water, see, they're God's children. And like us, we are God's children. And we need water. And we not only need, we need water inwardly, the purity of the word, uh, to cleanse us inwardly and to bring in spiritual health in Ephesians 5, uh, uh, 26 and 27. But we need to have our feet uh, washed because we have to walk through this evil world system. And at times, our feet get dirty, our walk, and and, uh, and then we need that in John uh, 13, 1 through 10. We need to have that cleansing. And so there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide, they complained, and they murmured against uh, they murmured with Moses. And again, now Moses is, is the type of Christ and the work that God is doing through him. And, and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, why chide you with me? Why do you complain and come against me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with, with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What will I do unto this people? They're, they're ready to kill me. They're ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with you the elders of Israel and your rod. And the rod speaks of here, the authority of the, of the love of God, obviously through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but that you lead them, you lead them with that rod, the authority of God's love. And that same rod where you, you smote the river, take in your hand and go. Notice where to go forward uh, with him leading us with Christ leading us. Behold, I will stand before you there upon the rock in Oreb, and you will smite the rock, and there will come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the chiding, complaining, murmuring of, of the children of, of Israel because they tempted the Lord. They, and, and, and again, we tempt God when we doubt him. And when we think we, we, what, what we need is when we need it. And so 
they tempted God because God had always came, come through for Israel. Uh, they didn't do anything of themselves, and neither do we, and he's always come through for us. They tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then came Amalek, and here's what we want to see, Amalek. Amalek here, when we read about Amalek in this, different places in the Word of God, always speaks in type of the flesh. It's the flesh that's in the believer in Romans 8, 9. It's in us, but we're not of it in Romans 8, 9. So then in verse 8, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim, the place where God was going to give them water, the place where that water of the, that word of life, and this is where we see when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well in John the fourth chapter, and in verse 14, he said, out of, out of you will flow rivers of living water. And he said it again in John 7 and verse 38. And Christ was that rock in the type, and it was the love of God that struck Christ on Calvary, that struck him. This goes back into, we see, the cleft of the rock in Exodus 33 and verse 21, where he said to Moses, this is where you will hide. You will hide in the cleft of the rock. And of course, for us in the type, this is Colossians 3 and verse 3, where we, we are dead. We died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. And again, here, then came Amalek and fought with Israel. And here we see in Galatians 5 and verse 17, it is the flesh, the fleshly mind that wars against and that lusts against the spiritual mind, the spirit from revealing who we are in Christ. So the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh so that we can't do the things that we would. When we function under the power of the Holy Spirit as he reveals Christ to us and we submit in James 4 and verse 7, and we submit to him. That keeps, us, that keeps us from doing what the flesh desires to do in us. And when we function in the flesh through resistance or through rejection of the word of God, as the Jews did in, in Hosea 4 and verse 6, and their rejection was not based upon what they didn't know, it was based upon what they knew and refused, just like us, in James 4 and verse 17, to him that knows to do good, and the good is the goodness that's been given to us in Christ. We see that in the in the in the epistle of Ephesians in the first and second chapters. We see the kindness and goodness of God, what He's given to us in Christ. And it's just again, when we to him that knows to do good, submit to it, and does it not to him it is sin. And that's when the flesh takes over. And we can't do the things that we deeply desire to do as we enter into this struggle. So then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And then Moses said unto Joshua, Choose out men and go out and fight with Amalek. You see, it's a battle. We have to fight. And oh, this is even before. Remember, Moses did not lead those is that second generation with only two remember only two only two in numbers the 13th chapter of that first generation that came out 
actually went into the promised land. It was only Joshua and Caleb. All the rest died in the wilderness. Only two, but a second generation, second generation of them did go in. They went in. And again, because of, of the flesh, and we, we experience death in the flesh, and that's the type here. But Moses said unto Joshua, choose, choose out men and go fight with Amalek. And that's the flesh, lust against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. This brings in the reality of Romans, the eighth chapter, when we look at those first nine verses. And especially the flesh, again, minding, the minding of the flesh keeps out the minding of the spirit and vice versa in Romans chapter 8 and verses 4 through 8. And this is the types that is being revealed to us now. And he said, tomorrow, go fight with them. And tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. This is a beautiful portion. This is what God's revealing to us in our battles when he has us in local assemblies. And this is what it says. So Joshua did. You see, Moses couldn't do it by himself. And none of us can. None of us can. We all have our own relationship with Christ. We do. Brought out again beautifully in, in Revelations 2 and verse 17. In that all. But right now, right here, we have, we have that battle. And, and Moses said unto Joshua, do this. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Ur went up to the top of the hill and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand, and this is a prayer life, this is grace, this is faith, this is dependence. He held up his hand ready to receive from heaven the grace and the dependence and what would come from the pre-incarnate Christ who would ultimately come and fulfill all of that that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands, you see, he couldn't do it himself. None of us can. Amalek prevailed. Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone. This is the foundation stone, brought out very beautifully in Psalm 118 and verse 22, and Isaiah 28 and verse 16. This is the stone, the massive foundation that Jesus Christ is, that, it, that we the church rest upon because that foundation has been built in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. And, and, 11. And, and this is brought out in Matthew 16 and verse 18. And when we rest on the foundation, there's a foundation, and we are the house, we are the house of God that rests upon the foundation, the finished work of Christ. They took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And notice, Aaron and Ur stayed up his hands. They helped hold up his hands. And that's what we do as members in the body of Christ. We receive the word from some pastors and teachers in Ephesians 4 and verse 11 for the work of the ministry in 4.12. And again, so that we, we grow up and learn in Christ in 13 so that we're no longer carried away. And we're going to see what it means to be carried away in the types here that we're not carried about by every wind of doctrine, the flesh with the enemy being seduced away in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. And so what we see here, again, is it was Aaron and Ur, and they were joints that were supplying, joints that supply 
they would speak the truth in love and grow up in Christ, and thereby in 416 of Ephesians, there would be a joint that supplies. And so they were staying up, Aaron on one side and Ur on the other, held up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other, and his hands were steady. Notice, we become portions to each other. So we each have portions that are specifically given to us, but not just to us, but for the body, for Jesus Christ's sake, his own body in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, his own body, flesh and bones in Ephesians 5 and verse 30. And so we build on this foundation. And when we do it individually, we become a source of strength for others. And then we don't build, we don't build ourselves on sand. And the sand in Matthew uh, chapter 7 and verses 24 to 27 speaks of the flesh, the emotions and passions of the flesh up one minute, down the next. We don't build on that. We build on a rock. And then when the storms from the enemy come, when they come and the rains beat on it, the house doesn't fall. But when we build it experientially and it's on the flesh, there's not a proper experience of the finished work of Christ. Down we go experientially as the house, but never positionally. And so they stayed. His hands were steady until the going down of the sun. You see, it takes energy. It takes labor. It takes self-sacrificial love and obedience for the glory of Christ in us to be revealed to others, to be a blessing to them. And then it says, and Joshua discomforted Amalek. Notice that. And his people with the edge of the sword. And the sword for us here in the battle of the flesh is Hebrews 4 and verse 12. The word of the Lord is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul, the spirit, and the joints and the marrow. And we look at that, and we make that, we see this crystal clear. And then when the soul, the flesh, active without the spirit or resisting these truths that we have that are ours in Christ. And when we don't resist, then in spiritual warfare, because we're in a warfare, and the enemy uses the flesh to go against who we are in Christ in each individual. And when the flesh is subdued and under the control of the Holy Spirit through the things of Christ being revealed, then we can take in Ephesians 6 and verse 17 the sword of the Spirit, but the flesh will not take the sword of the Spirit. And even, even use it, he take that word to cut us the flesh away from us and to say no to it. We're not going to think that way about ourselves anymore. We're not going to think in fleshly terms of God. We're not going to think in fleshly terms of ourselves. And we're not going to think in fleshly terms of others in the local assembly. We will not do that because we have a sword and we're in a battle just like Israel was here with Amalek. We see. And then in verse 14, it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. Write it down for, in a book. And rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Now for us, this has happened positionally for us. This is already done for us, based upon the scores of scriptures, and we see it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and down right through to the end of that chapter in a very beautiful way. 
that's been dealt with, we're to write it, and, and, and from under heaven. This is ours positionally already. It's already been done. We can read it in Romans, the fifth chapter. We can see the reality of learning that in the sixth chapter of Romans, not giving into the flesh to function in legalism in the flesh uh, towards one another. At first towards God and, and then towards ourselves and towards one another. Then we get into the seventh chapter. And the seventh chapter is where we have to go down, and that's where God deals with us. We have to go down, and it's the flesh. It's the Amalek flesh, the enemy against us, that cries out, O wretched man that I am, in Romans 7 and verse 24. O wretched man that I am. And that's the enemy speaking to it and telling us that's still who we are because the sword hasn't come in, the word, and we haven't applied it. And the Holy Spirit hasn't been allowed to do so because we function in the flesh. And when we do, that corrupt communication in Ephesians 4, 29 comes out. And whatsoever is not of the grace and truth that Christ, this is corrupt. And if it corrupts me and, and corrupts my intimacy and my image, and, and, and somehow, and we can't really do that with the glory of Christ that's been finished, but it does get tarnished in us. And we let that, that corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth because we haven't been edified and built up on our foundation through the grace and truth that Christ is based upon the cross and what he's accomplished there. And so that's what it means. It, we're out to put out the remembrance of the flesh in us. We're to put it out. And this is something that has to go on constantly in our growth. And then it says in verse 15, And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, what? Yahweh Nissa. The Lord is our banner. What was he learning? What is God teaching us? That in Isaiah 59, in verse 19, when, not if, but when the enemy comes in like a flood. And how does he do that with a believer? Through the flesh, experientially. Can't touch us positionally. And it's unfortunate that most of us and a lot of Christians do not have this, this kind of teaching. Yes, we've been, yes, everything is dealt with positionally, but to have it in a proper experience, you need to have that sword, that front constant, continual preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And so when it says Yahweh, and some say Yehovah, Jehovah, but it's Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is our banner. What is the banner? The banner there is brought out in Isaiah 59 and verse 19. When, not if, but when the enemy comes in like a flood. God is about to water us with the word. And in comes the enemy to activate the flesh and the believer. Either not to come and hear it, or when we do come, to reject it. See? But when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard, and that's the banner. That's Christ. It's finished. We go into the spiritual warfare, and God is working these things into our experience because we have the banner. It's finished in John 19.30. It is finished, and we have that banner. And so in Isaiah 59.19, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a, a standard against him and cause the enemy to flee when we submit, when we're humble in James 4, 6. Then we draw nigh to him. And then 
then he resists the devil in us. And then we can come to a place now where he's resisting. He himself is resisting the devil from actuating the flesh in James 4 and verse 7. And then we can draw near and get our hands cleansed. We get our hands cleansed in, in James 4 and verse 8. We get our hands cleansed and our minds from being double-minded. And this is what this is teaching us in the types here. And so he called that place Yahweh Nissa, the Lord our banner. We go, he leads us into battle. He's our leader. This brings in the beauty of Hebrews 12, 1, 2, and 3. Brings it in beautifully. And he, he always is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. We leave him in the flesh. But he, in Hebrews 13 and verse 5, will never leave us. No, never, no, never in any way ever leave us or forsake us. He won't fail us. Like he was telling Joshua, type of Christ and the work that he was doing in Joshua 1.5, I will not fail you nor forsake you. I won't do it. Verse 16, for he said, because, and he said, because, it's because of the hand of Amalek is against the, the throne of the Lord or from Christ from functioning in us, you see. He said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation, you see. And this is where we will uh, bring this to a close, if I can remember where it was. <laughs> and so we can see that again. I believe this is where it is. Yes. So in First Samuel, in First Samuel, the 30th chapter, First Samuel, the 30th chapter, we're going to see the importance and we're going to understand spiritual battle that we're all in each of us, but we don't, we all have that, but we don't do it alone. This is brought out in Galatians 6, 1 through 4. Four. We bear our own burdens, but we bear the burdens of others in the, in the local assembly. We do so. And, and again, in Galatians 6, 1 through uh, 4. And you can follow through Galatians, the sixth chapter. You can follow that right through to the 10th verse and see the beauty of how the correlations here. But here in in 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter. Now we're, we're here where David is. And we see in 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, it says this. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day. Bible's loaded with truths. It was the third day. When did Jesus rise from the dead with the finished work? It was on the third day. This finished work truth that's ours. On the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burnt it with fire. The Amalekites, those areas of the flesh that come against the reality of what we have in positional truth that was accomplished that Jesus Christ finished for us on that third day when he rose from the dead in Matthew 28, uh, 1 through 6. He rose from the dead. He's not a dead Christ. We have this resurrection life all through the epistles in the New Testament, the New Covenant. They burnt it with fire and had taken the women captives. You see what happened? The flesh takes the women captive. And we can see that again 
brought out in 2 Timothy, the third chapter in those first 13 verses. And then we can see it in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. And we can see it through how women, silly women, are led captive by the flesh, led captive and, and, be, and act silly in the flesh. And we can see that, all of us, we can see that, that the women were taken captive. And this is bringing out the reality of 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26. They were taken captive because the enemy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25 had, had what he did. He caused them with their will not being submitted to the truth that they had in Christ. He caused them to oppose themselves. How does the enemy oppose us? Through the flesh. We see each other in the flesh. We're not to know any man after the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16, that's to deny Christ in the vessel. That's to treat them, treat them with flesh against flesh. And that's a, that's a battle that the enemy gets us involved in. But again, here, it says that the women were taken captives that were there. They didn't kill any of them. They didn't slew, slew any, either great or small, but carried them away. And this is where the enemy comes in, and when we don't have those truths that are ours in Ephesians 4 and verse 11 that were given to us in Ephesians 4, 11 uh, through 16, we are carried away captive by every wind of doctrine in Ephesians 4 and verse 14. We get carried away, and these women were carried away, and we get carried away in the flesh. We get carried away. And so David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burnt with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Oh boy. Oh, how we need, especially as men of God, as husbands, how to learn how to be proper initiators so that our wives are not taken captive by the flesh that's in them or by the flesh that's in us. I know how very important it is. Verse 4 of 1 Samuel 31, uh, 30. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power. They had no more strength to even weep. And David's, David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinaim and, and Jezreelitis and Abigail and the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed. That's what the flesh tries to cause us to be distressed or discouraged. We get discouraged. When we look to others without Christ, when we look to the flesh and we look to others and they let us down, we get, we get what? We get disappointed. Then when we look within and Christ isn't there in obedience through the word not submitted to, we get discouraged. We get discouraged. Obviously, but when obviously we look to Christ, we become encouraged. But David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, blaming him, right? Blame game here again. For the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. They were bitter. They became very bitter. That's what happens. The flesh in us makes us very bitter when we continue to function in it. When we don't get right with God and don't get right with others, we let things fester. And so that's what can happen to any of us. We get bitter. And that bitterness in Hebrews 
12 and verse 15 and 14 and 15, it, it defiles many. When I function in the flesh, it affects, it, it affects everyone, those closest to me. And, and obviously, it's not just our family and the home, it's the body that we're, that we're one with. And so the people were grieved. They were very bitter in their souls. And every man for his sons and daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abba Athar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, I beseech you, bring me here the ephod. The ephod. Bring it. And Abathar brought there the ephod to David. What is the ephod here in the type? This is bringing out the reality of Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. It's putting off the garment of the flesh and it's putting on our proper image in Christ. Seeing things clearly. It's to put that on. That's what the ephod is bringing here to us in the type for us as believers that are in Christ. And then it says, and then David inquired at the Lord. He became entreatable. He's functioning in his proper image, just like the Christian, saying, will I pursue after this troop? Will I overtake them? What should I do, God? He's giving him some. He's got the right garment on. He doesn't have the garment of the flesh. Doubt. Fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, but of power. You see, they had they, they didn't even have power to weep. They didn't have the Christ functioning in them. Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24, they were not kept by the power of God. In 1 Peter 1, 5, because the flesh was having its way. And that's what can happen into us. But David encouraged himself in the Lord and said, bring me the ephod. Bring me that. And then he could inquire at the Lord, having on, and when we, when the the sword of the Spirit comes in and separates the soul from the Spirit, the flesh from who we are in Christ. Now we can inquire. And now we're entreatable and humble. And now we can receive and get wisdom from God that we lack otherwise in James 1 and verse 5. And he inquired of the Lord and said, Now what, what should I do, Lord? In other words, I don't know, but you do. And you have all the answers. You have all the wisdom. And he answered him, Pursue. Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and without fail, because love never fails us in First Corinthians thirteen eight. That loving wisdom that that God gives us that we lack, and when we're entreatable, we receive. We with without fail we recover all. So David went. He and he and the six hundred men that were with him. Remember, those were the ones that were four hundred, and now they swelled. Remember, in the cave of Adullam, in 1 Samuel 22, in those first three and four verses, they came unto him. You see, they were doing it all together. They were doing it. They weren't doing it separately. They were doing it all together, like we, in, the, in these, these particular local assemblies where God has called us. And he went. Now here's what happens, and this is what I love. I thought of some people that some that can't go into the battle, but how necessary they are. Watch what this says. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind, they stayed. 
And some have to stay behind. And what do they do? They pray. This is bringing out the reality that Paul was saying. And, and maybe some can't go with us into the battle. They don't know because they weren't chosen as leaders or chosen as men to go into the battle. But some stay and they pray. They hold up the hands. They hold up the hands of the individuals. They stay, but they pray. They stay and pray. Like some will go on a trip and some have to stay, but they'll lift up. And it's just as necessary for those to go as it is most necessary for those to stay. And that's why Paul said of the teaching spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, he said, pray. Pray for me. Pray. You may not be able to go forward into the battle. You may not be able, but you can stay and pray and how necessary and important prayer is. And they could stay. And, but David pursued. He and 400 men, for 200 men abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Basar. They couldn't. They didn't have enough strength, but they did have enough to stay and pray. God will always give us enough strength to trust him and to pray. And not only pray for ourselves in Philippians 4 and verses 6, but pray for others. Pray for others. Acts 6, 4, we give ourselves to prayer and then the word, then the Lord can give us the word and the wisdom of the word. You see, we may have knowledge, but without prayer, we don't know how to apply it. It takes wisdom to do that and that takes sometimes many years and it takes a lot of growth in Second Peter 3 and verse 18. And so they, in verse 11, they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat. And follow it all the way through, because we're going to cut it a little short this morning here. And they gave him bread, and he did eat, and they made him uh, drink water, and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit again, again came to him. His spirit came back to him. He was strengthened through the food that was supplied by David. This is beautiful uh, truths here being brought out. We need the spiritual food. It's so necessary. The most important thing about us was, of course, receiving Christ as our, our Savior and being uh, uh, placed into the whole body of Christ and then being placed in local assemblies, but being placed in certain local assemblies because the second most, and it's really not even second, it's a continuation of Philippians 2, 12 and 13, working out our, our own salvation with being fed the word of God. How important it is. How necessary is it? The most necessary thing, the most important thing about us is receiving our spiritual food like God is giving us here to us all in this local assembly here. And so they fed him, for he had not eaten nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belong you and where are you? And he said, I'm a young man. And he was an Egyptian. You can follow this all the way down through. And you see what he said. And this is what he said to him. He said, a man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. <laughs> and my master left me behind three days because I fell sick. You see, the flesh always falls, leaves us. It always fails. It always falls short and leaves us in an unhealthy place. 
when we function in the flesh. That's why in Psalm 107 and verse 20, he sent his word and he healed them and he delivered them from all their destructions. And then in verse 4, he said, but we made an invasion upon the south of the Carathites and upon the coast which belongs to Judah and upon the south of Caleb and we burnt Ziglag with fire. See, he was following the flesh. He was doing it in complete ignorance. And David said to him, Can you bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, because I know what the flesh does. And don't we know what the flesh does to us? And how the enemy can use, use the destruction to steal, kill, and destroy us and then use the flesh in us to do that to others. And that's why it needs to be separated in Hebrews 4 and verse 12 with the loving counsel of God. And, and then when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. That's the flesh. That's the flesh, eating and drinking and playing. And that's what the enemy wants for the Christian today. Listen, on this earth, make everything about your life through material things, eating and drinking and dancing because of a great spoil. You see, even the things that God would give us with material blessings, the flesh will take and use them to spoil. To spoil for all of us. And then David smote them. And that's, he smote them. What did he use? He used the sword. Did you know when you study this? David in battle. When he got in a war. And that would take a long time at times. And he used that sword. And he used it so fiercely against the enemies of the flesh that they had to peel his fingers off the handle of that sword the sword of the Spirit. David smote them from twilight even unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, the Amalekites, the flesh, except 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. Oh, how the flesh, when it gets found out and doesn't want to be dealt with, will flee, hide. You know how we try to hide things. Areas of the flesh, areas of lack of forgiveness, holding on to grudges and being bitter. You know how we need the counsel. Every one of us need the counsel of the word to separate self-conscious living, selfish living from spiritual living. And when we live and give ourselves to prayer and spiritual living, we lose ourselves in the love of God. And then we can be his vessels to pour out that portion that he's given to us as individuals, but to pour it out, and I'm going to tell you where it starts. It starts in the body. I cannot pour out properly until I pour out in my local assembly, first and foremost. And that's where forgiveness is going to be learned. That's where proper relationships and dealing with things face-to-face -face need to be learned. We don't learn them outside. We learn them in a local assembly. And then from the local assembly, we go out and lead others in. When things are dealt with, 
And if they're not going to be dealt with in the local assembly when we go out and minister, is that done in the right way for any of us? Well, and David recovered all in verse 18. Notice that? David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And when God does it in us, as husbands and leaders, he can use it to do it, do it with others. David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. Thank God, we, we only have one, we only need one. <laughs> and, uh, of course, in Deuteronomy 17, 17, David wasn't even supposed to multiply wives. It's called double trouble. <laughs> David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to them. Nothing was lacking to them. Neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. He recovered all that the flesh was taking away. And Jesus did that for us. He's the true David. And we've recovered all in Christ. And he's redeeming the time in Ephesians 5 and verse 16 in us, our loved ones, our families, our friends. He's redeeming it again in Joel 2 and verse 25. What the canker worm and the palmer worm have eaten. Have eaten up and done away. And there was nothing lacking. And then in verse 20, David took all the flocks and the herds which they drove before those other cattle and said, this is David's spoil. You know, we all have a beautiful portion in Christ. Jesus spoiled the enemy on Calvary. He paid for all of our sins. He crucified our old. In Romans 6, 1 through 6, he dealt with all of our sins. Micah 7 and verse 19 in the type in Psalm 103 and verse 12, he separated them as far as the east is from the west. He did that and, and brought out the truth of it in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. And David spoil. And David came to the 200 men which were so faint that they could not follow David. When they had made also to abide at the brook Basor, and they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. You know what he saluted them? He said, how is it with you? We were in a battle. We were in a fierce battle. But we came back and we still care about you. How are you doing? How are you doing? How is everything with you? Then he answered all the wicked men and the men of Besor and all of them that went with David and said, because they went not with us, we will not give them anything of the spoil that we recovered, except to every man his wife and his children, and they, that they may lead them away and depart. Then said David, you will not do so. You were not going to do so. Those that stayed back and prayed, they were just as important as those that went forward in the battle. No, you will not do so, my brethren, with them which the Lord has given us. Oh, boy. We're to give them portions. This is, again is brought out in Nehemiah 8, 10, and 11. The joy of the Lord is our strength inwardly. And then we have portions to give to others. We have a portion to give to them. No, you won't. No, 
who has preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goes down to the battle, so will his part be that stays by the stuff. They will part alike. Isn't that beautiful? This brings out spiritual battle truths. We all have that individually. We do. But our battle is the Lord's in Exodus 14, 14. 1 Samuel 17, 47. Deuteronomy 1, 29 and 30. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's against the flesh in us. The battle is the Lord's. And those that stay and pray are just as important as those that, get for, that go forward into battle. This is bringing out the principles in Ephesians 6, 10 to 19 in such a beautiful way. And Father, we thank you for your precious truth this morning, your precious counsel to us. Thank you and praise you. We love you and thank you, God, for your counsel, for this spiritual food that causes us to go forward, for the manna that you have come down so faithfully while we're still in this wilderness. In Exodus, the 16th chapter, in those first 15 and 16 verses, thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. And it was Jesus that came down, fulfilling that type, and still does it. He still comes down to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We never have to face a thing without him. Never have to face a single thing without him. Not a circumstance or a situation, but to go forward, we must separate the fleshly soul from the spirit, the proper image about who, who we are in Christ and who he is in us. Thank you for this counsel this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.